quarter to three board games podcast for early to mid-April 2021. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Fleet. And this is Hassan Lopez, and I'm not playing Core Worlds. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Yahtzee. You know what? You kind of are, though, Mike. I, uh, I know. <laughs> given what uh, you're going to start off talking about, uh, I watched a video of it, because I've heard about this thing forever, and one of the main reasons that I haven't uh, jumped in and, and bought this is there's a lot to buy, A, and B, it looks like it's very much uh, about head-to-head battling, but C, I look at it and I think, oh, wait a minute, that's just another Yahtzee variation. Um it's- and it is. <laughs> so it is. Okay, good. Well, I'm actually it, surprised you've never played that time. Well, you know, I, I think it is there. A, I might be thinking of a different game. Is there a really good implementation of it on Board Game Arena? Or am that I thinking it, of something else? I, that would probably be a question for Hassan. I have not tried it online in any fashion. And we're talking about Dice Throne. Yes, yeah, so, I, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Okay, I might be thinking of another dice game I haven't played. But yeah, I do not know Dice Throne. Uh, Hassan, are you a Dice Throne player? Um, I am, but I'm in that tragic situation where I have both of the big giant boxes on my shelf, and I've kind of lovingly touched them and caressed them, but have not really been able to crack them open and play very much, um, largely because of the pandemic and in my household, there's really nobody that would play like a, a one-on-one dueling game like this with me. Right, mm-hmm. right. And well, you don't uh, have the you don't have the third box, Hassan. <laughs> the uh, the solo like adventure campaigny thing. It's it's co-op. It's actually not solo. So it's yeah, yeah, all, yeah. you play against the game rather than each other. I didn't. Yeah. That's the thing I didn't spring for, and I I just wasn't convinced that the. 1v1 core mechanic of the game was going to translate well to a cooperative dungeon crawl. But mm-hmm. but maybe you have a different perspective. That, that's my concern as well. I want to table that because first I want to hear about some of the basics of the game from Mike. Mike, why are you playing this and uh, what do you think of it? So Dice Run's been around a few years now. Um, I've had a lot of customers at the store just say it's, it's really fun. Um, previously before the Kickstarter, it was sold as packs of two characters and then you could kind of mix and match them. So it might be a pirate and a paladin or all these different, you know, from various genres. There's angels, there's, uh, you know, skeletons. There's all kinds of weird stuff. Um, and then you kind of just mix and match and did a head-to-head. Uh, but the game is very much inspired by Yahtzee as far as its dice mechanics. And then it has kind of a light um, Magic the Gathering kind of at, um, card system on it also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... <clears throat> Rather than uh, you know a complex mana system like Magic has, you just get this little wheel with these things called uh, command, uh, combat points. I was going to say command points, uh, combat points, and you get one of these per turn. And to play a card, it might cost zero, it might cost two, and that uh, often will upgrade uh, your character somehow or modify dice roll. And it kind of gets into some of those Magic situations of futzing with the outcome of a roll. Mm-hmm. But the but the core mechanic is on my turn. Let's say I'm playing against Hassan. I'm attacking him, which happens every turn. I roll my five dice, and then I start doing the Yahtzee thing, where I get to save some dice and re-roll uh, up to two re-rolls. And then on, you have this big kind of cardboard mat in front of you with, uh, I don't remember how many, it's maybe a dozen different powers. Mm-hmm. And it might say, if you have three skull symbols, you do this. Or if I have a small straight, I do this. And you are trying to, with those re-rolls, line up with whatever power you want to do. And one and of the they, things that I noticed, Mike, that, that mm-hmm. separates this from mere Yahtzee, it's still the same basic vibe, but it looks like the die faces each have a number and a symbol, right? That's correct. So yep. maybe the number won't help you, but the symbol helps you. And it also makes that for that many more combinations and possibilities and decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then sometimes you may end up on a turn where you do your rerolls and you can't do anything because you didn't actually line up with any of the combinations available to you. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is it's it's kind of a risk reward stuff so there's one ultimate power that each character has it's in the middle of their board does a ton of damage and has special effects but it's essentially getting all sixes so it's getting like getting a yahtzee and yahtzee so it's you may have three of them and you do your re-rolls and you're re- rolling one more die to get it and then you end up with nothing so okay. it's i it's i like that there's some uh, uh calculated risk to it as you do your turns 
I do like, I, I will say, I do like that push your luck with the, especially with when you're going for the big ultimate. I, it, it feels really fun. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're playing against, you know, somebody and they're, you can tell that they, that's what they're going for. Um, when they fail, it's hilarious, right? right. So this is one of those <laughs> games where it is actually a lot of fun to to take pleasure in the, the failure of your opponent, for sure. <laughs> and then, uh, so the various powers, you know, at the basic level, it does three damage to you. And then you get a roll, a defensive roll. Everyone has one defensive ability, which may cancel out some of my hits. It may just do some counterattacks. It might do some other stuff. Um, and each character is very thematic. Like there's a ninja. Uh, when he dodges uh, an attack, he'll reduce some damage. But depending on what he rolls, he might do more damage to you than you did to him. And then you might get a smoke screen. Um, and that's kind of the last part of this game is every character has a bunch of these uh, custom tokens to their character. Mm-hmm. And they may be things you play on yourself, such as the smoke screen, which is uh, when the ninja gets attacked, he can discard it. And then I think it's a 50-50 chance of no damage at all. Uh, and then there's tokens you put on other players, uh, for example, poison, where at the end of your turn, you're going to make a roll and you might take some additional damage. And then what's even more fun is there's lots of character abilities and cards that let you move these tokens around. So the ninja could give himself a smoke screen. I might end up stealing that to myself. So then I'm able to dodge later. And that kind of comes into play with with those cards. Um, and the cool thing about the cards is each character has its own deck. So there's a bunch of common ones, you know, like play a card and it gives you two extra co- uh, combat points. Uh, but then there's a lot of thematic ones like a, a dodge or a power up for uh, some sort of a mage kind of character and so on. So they all have a very unique feel. Um, and I've obviously I haven't tried all the combinations. I got both of the uh, Kickstarter boxes. So I believe I have 16 characters to, to choose from. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. So when you buy it, I noticed you can buy the seasons. The seasons of the boxes you, you're talking about? Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So, uh, so like I said, originally they sold these as packs of two characters. And they come in these cool little game trays, plastic cases that store all their parts. And they have this nice little fold-out mat, which is also the cover for the box. Um, and then these seasons, they released all the characters so far, season one and two. Uh, like I said, for a total of uh, uh, 16 characters. I got to say that the the game trays in this, I don't want to like go gaga over just plastic and shit, but they're amazing. Like the, the, <laughs> the, the ease of setting this game up and quickly getting to the point of rolling dice and laughing is really fast. Um, yep. And so much of that comes from the enormous amount of detail and money they must have put a, put into designing these these little game tray packets. They're they're yep. just, they're some of the best ones I've ever seen. And these big boxes are cool too. They um they have little slots for each of the trays, eight each. And when you have the box open, it looks like a big tome. It has the names of all the different characters on the side. So I just open the boxes, throw them on the table, and say, "Here's your characters to pick from." So how many of these characters do you have all told, Mike? I have all of them. So I bought both the whole Kickstarter package. So, so you've got 16, 16. characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help but uh, think, if you've got a game that has 16 different characters, how distinct are they? How many tricks do you end up seeing getting reused? Uh, how, much, how much character variability can you have with that kind of character count? Yeah, and I've only played this a couple times, so I've only seen probably not even half the characters so far. But they all seem to fit their theme fairly well. Um, like I mentioned with the ninja and smoke screens and poison, uh, a lot of the abilities come down to uh, changing damage somehow, either reducing or giving people extra damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it makes you invulnerable to certain kinds of attacks. Um, and you, I think to get good at this game, you're going to have to kind of learn the characters to know the progression of how you know some later uh, later game abilities get out and so on. Right. Um, and, and then the cards feed into this in that, like I said, all of your powers on your map um, there's, they'll start at level one, and there's a level two and three in your deck, which you use your combat points. So as the game goes on, your car, your character gets more powerful because ah. it's doing more damage and and so on. And and one cool thing they did is because it's a deck, you might end up with your you know level two card early in the game, which costs say three combat points, and late in the game you get your level three, which costs six. And you only have to pay if you already had level two, you just pay the difference. But if on turn one I got my level three power, I can go directly from one to three by paying the whole cost. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a clever way to handle uh, multi-tier upgrades uh, while still paying ultimately the same cost for the highest level one. I, I will say that I was I've been pretty impressed with how much variability they've squeezed out of this pretty basic mechanical design. Um, 
I mean, to answer Tom's question, I think the sacrifice they've made, Tom, is that some of the characters, in an effort to make them really distinct, are somewhat complicated, like maybe overly complicated. Like right. they have a lot of status tokens, a lot of status effects. Like, a, mm -hmm. And they even rank the characters, I think, by complexity, right? Yep, like, hey, do. you're starting out, you should play the Barbarian. They basically just punch shit, you know? Oh, you want something more complicated? Try this... I don't know. What's the what's the guy who like builds uh like robots and stuff? Um the there's a the, not inventor or something, it's called something else like the that. art the artifactor or something yeah. like that. The, the artifice or something. But those ones get kind of nuts. Um to the point where I actually think it goes past the tipping point of what this game should be about, which is like a quick fast brawl that's uh, trying to re represent a fighting game like sometimes mm -hmm. when you're playing with the more complex characters um the game kind of drags because everyone's like wait what does that effect do so you have three status effects and i have four and it, it, it starts to bog down just a little bit right. and there's even a there's a cursed pirate character where their their mat is double-sided oh, yeah, yeah so they're either cool. they're either a human or a skeleton depending on various uh tokens and stuff in the game so their powers completely change and can go back and forth throughout the game, which is the most complex one I've seen so far. <laughs> so then, um, uh, go ahead, sorry. I, I was going to say, a lot of, then Hassan's point about complexity uh, kind of goes to my only complaint about the game so far, which is I think it starts falling apart the larger your player count gets. Um, uh, we that's what I was going to wonder about, is, is can you do like team games where you have support characters helping each other? Yep, uh, and, I, okay. and I've done um, I've done one-on-one, -on -one, I've done... Uh, a uh, three-way, uh, just 1v1v1, king of the hill kind of thing. It had a neat mechanic of you can attack whoever you want, but if you attack the person currently winning, you get an extra card. Just an, a neat little thing that keeps shifting if you are... It, deter, it deters you from beating up on the person currently losing. And winning uh, or losing is a function of how many hit points your dude has left? Yep, that's it. Okay. So okay. at the beginning of the game, everyone has the same health, so everyone's technically winning, so you, you get a card on your first turn until someone starts going down. Right. Um, but then we tried a 3v3 game. And for <laughs> okay. a bunch of newbies, this is hard. Like, when I'm on the right of one side of the table and I'm fighting the person on the right of the other side of the table, I don't know what their card says. I don't know what their status yeah. effects does. Yeah. And it becomes, especially for new players, it's very much a, I don't know what's going on. And I think it falls apart there. I think for veteran players, it'd probably be fine. But for people just getting started, it's uh, not a great experience. It's that big of a game. Right, right. Uh, so have you tried the the solo adventure mode? Uh, excuse me, co-op adventure mode or solo? I, I have not because I wanted to um, – I told my wife I wanted to kind of learn the mechanics of the main game and learn some of the characters before we dug that out. Um, everyone likes the idea of it when I tell them about it. But I have not uh, done much other than look at the pieces. Yeah, I watched a playthrough, and it pretty much sold me on the idea that you know, this looks like a head-to-head -head battler, and it's got a sort of a limited uh, boss AI you can punch instead uh, mm -hmm. as you move around those little tiles and, and work your way. It looks like there's scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this, the, the solitaire slash co-op mode really didn't uh, grab my attention as much as if I were to play this as a head-to-head -head thing. Yep, and I think uh, 1v1 is definitely going to be the best experience on this, yeah. um, especially you know if you have all the characters and you're playing with someone who knows them all, you can come up with some uh, interesting combinations. Hassan, how many of the characters do you have? Do you have 16 of them? I have 16, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> but, oh my. But, 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 but like I said, I just, I've, I've barely been able to play this game, um, and when I have, I've enjoyed it, but um, I, there's so much more to explore. Right, mm -hmm. right. Uh, it reminded me a bit, just watching it in action, of uh, Too Many Bones. Mm -hmm. like, uh, like, what if Too Many Bones was a head-to-head -head battling game? So, yeah, like, and, it's, and it's not as complicated as Too Many Bones, but I, yeah, I can see that uh, right, comparison. Right. Yeah, because it has, it, I mean, that, that foundation, that, that Yahtzee thing, anybody can do. It's here, mm -hmm. roll these dice. If you want, you get two chances to make for a better roll. Like, that, that's, that's pretty intuitive, and I think anybody can jump into that and understand mm -hmm. the basics. Yeah. All right. So uh, Dice Throne, are, is it still available, Mike? Like, is this a game that you can get online or go into store? Like, can I buy all three seasons? So uh, there's only two seasons so far. Um, uh, well, I Rock thought the State, Adventure Mode was like a third season. or a, There's uh, no new characters. It's just NPCs to fight against. And then there's all these, like, random room tiles because you're exploring a dungeon. So it's kind of turning into a little light dungeon crawler. 
Um, so the you can still get the Kickstarter boxes from their website last I checked, uh, but now they are re-releasing the newer versions of this in two packs like they originally were. So um, you can get them kind of piecemeal. Uh, I did notice someone, I think this was on Board Game Geek, was selling the adventure mode for $1,085. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if that's still available, but, uh, you know, get it while it's we, hot. I, you know, we, we backed the Kickstarter for the store, and they sold out within a week, so. Right. Oh. right. Yep. Yeah. All right, Dice Throne. Mm-hmm. Um, Hassan, how about you go next, because uh, your game looks awfully adorable, uh, and you have said, you, you've sort of spoiled to Mike and I that you don't like it. <laughs> That's sadly true. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about um, a cute little small box deck builder from Leader Games. Hey, this is two podcasts in a row. I've been really peddling Leader Games. They owe me a paycheck. Um, this, The designer is Grant Rodiek, and it's a game about building building a fort, like from a kid's perspective in the neighborhood and being the coolest kid in the neighborhood. Um, it's got some attractive elements to it. It's got, a, I think, a great uh, theme. I think it's an inviting theme. It's different. Your kids in a neighborhood playing, building forts, collecting pizza, gathering toys to put in your fort. It's got fantastic, cute artwork by that same Kyle Farron who did the artwork for Root and probably yeah. a couple of their other games. Yeah, you and, look at that box cover, I think, and his artwork, has a, it, it evokes a definite feel. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah this is these other games that I like. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. He's great. I, 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 he's brought, like, a whole new kind of artistic approach to, to games lately. Um, and, yeah, the production overall is, as I guess we're starting to expect from leader games, it's, it's great. So it's got some attractive elements to it. I'll kind of walk through the basics of the design and then, and then share my thoughts. And it's a um, tiny game too, isn't it? Isn't it a little teensy box? It is. And, and that is, I think, one of its attractive elements. It's selling points. It's like, hey, this is a quick little deck builder. It's a game you could teach to, to new players, people who aren't necessarily, you know, hobbyists, you know, who play lots of board games um and in theory it plays quickly although i'll i'll have a beef with that um (laughs) so this is a it's a game about earning the most points and you're going to be doing that by primarily upgrading your fort Uh, there's a couple other ways to earn points in the game but upgrading your fort is going to be your big one to accomplish that you're going to be playing cards from your hand so it is a deck builder in the sense that you start with a small deck of cards Um, you're going to have a hand of them each turn and over the course of the game you're going to be adding cards to this deck to a certain degree each of the cards is cute each of the cards represents a different kid in the neighborhood and they all have cute names like I don't know, like Golden Boy and stuff like that. And so you do develop a certain fondness for some of the kids that you end up seeing in your deck. You develop a certain uh, sense of responsibility over <laughs> over them. Um, you'll play these cards together, just really two resources in the game, either pizza or toys. And at a very basic level, you collect a bunch of pizza, a bunch of toys, and then you cash those in to upgrade your fort. It is, um, is it like pizzas, food, and toys are, are weapons, or what? Is there even any rationale, or so much thought? Yeah, kids love pizza, kids love toys. Yeah, kids love pizza and kids love toys, and there's no difference between them. Like from a mechanical perspective, they're identical. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it, there's there's not much going on with the resource economy of this game. There's a slight wrinkle here. Um, a couple wrinkles that differentiate this from traditional deck builders, right? Like in a traditional deck builder, you will usually play your entire hand, right? You'll just be like, okay, I'm going to play all five of my cards, and this gives me blah, 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 blah. And you don't do that with Fort. You you actually are choosing to play usually one of the cards in your hand. You might boost its ability with another one of your cards, but then the, the other cards that you don't actually use go into what's called the yard. And the yard now becomes a place where other people can steal your cards from you. Um, when they're when it's another player's turn and they're purchasing cards, they can actually take one of the kids from your yard. But wait, wait, Golden Boy was my kid. I'm attached to that kid. You can't take Golden Boy. 
I know. And th and thematically, the idea is that you well, you didn't play with Golden Boy, so now <laughs> Golden Boy's kind of pissed, and he's willing to join another player's crew, which I I think is super clever. I really it, that that's an easy. Like Tom, you often talk about how like you like it when you're when you're doing a teach and there's a an easy thematic hook that helps people remember a rule. Uh, this is a good example of that for sure. Yeah, if I didn't bring Golden Boy in the house to to play with me, then he's out on the lawn with nothing to do. And yeah, here yeah. comes Mike Pullman, and Golden Boy's like, yeah, I'll go with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other sort of wrinkle is that Fort does try to boost player interaction a bit. In a traditional deck builder, you know, oftentimes other players are uninterested in what you're doing. You're like, look, I'm playing this massive combo. And everyone's <laughs> like, yawn, when is it my turn? Mm -hmm. um, in Fort, other players can sort of follow you on your turn. So uh, every card you play usually has a has a public action and a private action. The private action is the thing that only you can do, but the public action is the thing that you and everybody else can do if they want to and if they have a matching card in their hand. So you are often paying attention to what other players are playing, and it is a decision point, Um Oftentimes, it's to your benefit to follow if you can, but you're not always going to do it. Uh, generally, Hassan, if I follow, that's that many fewer cards I leave in my front yard to be stolen. Is that true? That's, that's correct. So okay. the, there's multiple advantages to following, really. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're leaving less for other people to, to steal from you. And since you're not really always playing all five cards from your hand anyways, it's not much of a loss right. um, to follow. You might even follow, if it's a four-player game, you might follow, follow, follow all three of the other players, and then when it comes to you, you've only got two cards in your hand, and that's still fine. Yeah, You're right. still going to have a very effective turn, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple other ways to earn points, and there's a couple, like there's a, like a secret hidden objective that you're going to be pursuing in the game, and there's some cards that let you basically um, immediately transform resources into points. But the, the biggest source of points really is coming from gathering the pizza toys and then spending them to upgrade your fort. That's, that's really it. There's a couple different triggers for the end game, but uh, the most common one that, that we've seen in our plays of this is that someone hits their highest level of their fort, uh, then you finish the round and the player with the most points wins. I, I love this basic twist that your hand of cards, you're picking the one card you're going to use rather than planning out how best to use all of them. Like I liked that in Dune Imperium is which card will I use to place my worker versus which card will I have left over. Here it looks like it's just a much more streamlined, focused version of that. Which one card out of my hand do I want to use? Um, right. Yeah, and and you're often looking for a way to boost that. So if if you have... There's the, the the cards in this game, the kids basically come from different, like they're different sets. Um, there's, you know, there's like the orange. I just think of them in terms of colors, like the orange ones, the green ones, right? Hassan, um, but, somebody themed that. One of them, I, I know, know for a fact, there's like a skateboard kid. I know, skater I know. kids. There's Skateboards like is one of them. Nerdy science kids. Yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, theme guy who came up with that. Sorry. Um but yeah, like you can boost your orange skateboard card with another orange skateboard card, and instead of getting two pizza, I now get three pizza. And this is where I'm gonna just like just like casually get into one of my major criticisms with this game is that I just don't find it very exciting. Like on a on a turn to turn basis, I'm never doing anything that feels particularly satisfying or impactful in the game. Um, like one of the more exciting things I'll do is I'll play a card and get, you know, three pizza and then look, I'm going to boost it and get an additional pizza. OK, now it's your go. Um, right, I, right. Unlike a lot of like Tom, you were saying like one cool twist here is that you're not playing your entire hand. You're only picking one or two cards possibly to play. And that's true. But the reason why deck builders often feel exciting is that a your deck evolves over the course of the game substantially. Like it starts the game as this really weeny piece of shit. And then by the end of the game, oh my God, I drew this hand that's astounding and I can do blah, 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 blah. Right. And that feels really exciting. Uh, Fort doesn't offer you that. First of all, your, your deck 
is constantly changing because people are stealing cards from you. So uh, you just have to get used to the fact that you don't really own any of the cards in your deck. And I can kind of jive with that. But then the second part of at the end of the game, my turns don't feel substantially different from the turns I had in the beginning of the game. That bothers me. Um, I I don't feel like this evolving sense of power, which I normally expect from a deck builder. And I think Fort's okay with that. I don't think Fort's trying to be a normal deck builder, but uh, a lot of that excitement I get from this genre is is missing in in this particular game. Deck building does seem to be about there's there's almost a crafting element to it. Right. You're yeah. creating all these combinatorial possibilities that you can unleash on later turns. And it's all about watching this increasing complexity get crafted and what you do with the cards. Yeah. 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 And and yeah, that's that's not really what Fort is about, or it doesn't really allow you to do that super effectively. Like I I have definitely seen I, this is also a game I'm terrible at. So some people will immediately say, oh, well, that's why he doesn't like it. Like, I, I really, every time I play Fort, I am by far, like, the worst player at the table. Um, but I have seen players effectively hone their deck to a certain degree, like, make a really tight deck where they're almost, like, all they have is, like, five cards in their deck. So really, they're just drawing the same cards every single turn. And within that very, very tight deck, there's an effective combo, like two or three cards that jive well together. And then they just kind of hammer that over right. and over, like three or four times in this game will be enough to, to mean that you're going to win. Um, and maybe someone finds that satisfying. I, I don't find that satisfying. Is calling your deck basically enticing other players to steal your friends? Or are there other ways to call your deck? There's other ways to call the deck. There okay. are cards specifically that let you basically get rid of stuff from your from your deck uh, fairly easily. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people can also be stealing cards from you, and a lot of the times you're like, whatever, I didn't, right? I didn't need. Oh, there's this kid. I'm gonna see if I can look him up right now. But there's this kid we always make fun of whenever we see him <laughs> in the game, and we're like, no. oh. I hope he's not listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's Ghost. Ghost. We're like, oh, yeah, whatever. You can have Ghost. And I think everyone actually starts the game with a Ghost. Um, He's just Uh, super... And he's very sad looking. Like, if you look at a picture of him, he's clearly like the kid that's kind of the awkward, sad, lonely kid in the neighborhood. And no one picks him for their team. Nobody picks him for a team. And then the game mechanisms actually encourage you to, like, just get rid of him from your deck. (laughs) So, Hassan, I have, the, I have the game in front of me now. Yeah, Ghost has no private ability, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so he's just, yeah, everybody, he helps everybody, right? He yep. doesn't do anything special for you. Why would you want him to be your friend? <laughs> so, Hassan, I got this game a year ago when we were locked down for the pandemic and played it once or twice. And I kind of ended up with a, a similar opinion where it wasn't very exciting after I played it for an hour. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it seemed seemed to be more about maximizing what options you have to you because all the cards Tom have these suits in the corner, and most right. powers it might be get some pizza times the number of skateboards you have right. So if I have a bunch of skateboards in my hand, I'm getting five pizza, and it's it seems kind of random what you have available to you. Although I'm kind of interested in these players Tom's or uh, Hassan's mentioning about honing their deck. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to go for the uh, all skater deck, like get a right? skater game <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can be done. I, I mean, like I said, I'm I clearly can't do it, but I have seen it done. Now, I I, I think you hit the other nail in the coffin uh, for me, which is that I think it actually does drag too long. At least I, I've played uh-huh. it. I should say, big caveats here. This is a game that I've only played on TTS, and it it is possible that as a physical game, I would enjoy this a bit more. Um, There's a couple of reasons for that. I think just in terms of being able to see the cards around the table a little bit easier and take cards from other people's yards um, and things like that. But uh, the other caveat is that I've, I've pretty much only played at four player and at four player, it just drags too long. Like the box says, you know, this is one of those boxes that says 20 to 40 minutes, but that's bullshit. At least in our experience, it's always over an hour. And mm-hmm. by the time, like Mike was saying, you're at that hour, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. A game in a box that small shouldn't take that long. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm not sure where that's coming from exactly, because in theory, you know, I've got my hand of cards um, and you guys are going and I'm already able to think about what card I'm going to play on my turn. So I can think ahead. Um, it's 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 harder to think ahead in terms of what card I'm going to add to my deck because that's changing all the time. That's a very dynamic process. So that's a decision that you won't be able to make until it actually is your turn, and that can slow things down. Uh, does Tabletop Simulator always make things slower, or do you get to <laughs> where you know it well enough that you can cruise through it quickly? Uh, like I, 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 yeah, I think it always makes things slower. The only okay. the only exception possibly that I've mentioned previously is Twilight Imperium, um, just because oh, right, right. the the mod is so good and has gone through so much evolution that it that it speeds up a lot of the parts of the game that drag. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I finally sucked it up and played Dune Imperium after we did our podcast on that uh, over Tabletop Simulator. Uh, What'd you and- think? Uh, so I, I, of course, love Dune Imperium, but Tabletop Simulator ended up being about as insufferable as I thought it would be, which is to say, <laughs> once you learn it, you know, okay, it's still fiddly, and, and that game is relatively, like, it's got all of the spots scripted yeah. where it, 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 it seems relatively tight as far as an implementation goes, but yeah. I just, I, 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 I get, I, let's see, I'm cleared to be fully immune and playable, like not, I could still be a carrier, but I will be fully immune at the end of this month, and I don't think I'll feel the need to actually use Tabletop Simulator in the next three weeks, so I think I'm good. I got that one experience with it, and since I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, I think I'm done with Tabletop Simulator after once, yeah. So. I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, no, I'm... I suspect a bunch of the guys in my group are going to just keep using it to play Twilight Imperium because they're addicted to it. But otherwise, I, I really hope we stop using it <laughs> entirely. And that is on, by the way, that was something that one one of my friends who's a tabletop simulator apologist basically said when I told him, hey, I tried doing Imperium and TTS was about what I expected. He was like, well, you really need to try Twilight Imperium. Like, that's immediately <laughs> what he jumped to. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, so Fort, uh, Dice Throne. Now, I want to talk about a game that I'm almost positive you guys have never even heard of. Uh, do you guys know Freshwater, or no, Fly, Freshwater Fly or Fly? Yeah, do you guys know Freshwater Fly? I had it in my store for a while, uh-huh. as much as I know. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought you made it up when you first emailed us, so... Right, well, it's a company I've never heard of called Bellwether Games. I don't know what else they publish. Um, But yeah, it's a fishing game, and I love fishing in video games. Uh, And to be fair, I couldn't think of that many fishing games. There's Fleet, which isn't really about fishing. It's more like just set management collection stuff. Uh, There's a really good Uwe Rosenberg game called Newsford, which is about a fishing village that has fishing in it, but it's not actually about fishing. So... At some point in the last couple of years, I ended up getting this freshwater fly game, uh, and I finally tried it recently because it's got solitaire support. Um, mm. And here's the thing about freshwater fly, which ultimately I'm not necessarily sure I would recommend, but it is definitely trying to model fishing, which again, I, I don't know. Are there other? Can you guys think of other games that are actually that model have actual fishing in them? Not a single one. I, I can't think of any either. Which is so Other weird. Than, uh, Why is it in every video game? Yeah. What, what hey, hey, that's my fish. Oh, right. You know what? Yeah, from the title. That's got to be a party game, though. That can't be a real actual game. That's yeah. um, kind of a, a kid-like game where you play penguins and you're moving around these hexes and they disappear as you move. Oh, right. that's yeah. okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. sim hey, penguin. Penguins eating fish. That's hunting. That's not right. <laughs> Exactly. It doesn't count. Well, this is bona fide fishing, but what it really is, it's one of those games where you roll a bunch of D6s, and they sit there, and then we all take turns taking a D6 to power an action. And we go until all the D6s are done, and then we roll new D6s. So it's all about, here are these dice, which one do I want to choose to do an action? And that's super familiar. We've seen that in plenty of games. Uh, But what Freshwater Fly does is when you take the die... The process of getting a fish is two stages, and I'm assuming this is because of the kind of fishing it's modeling. Now, real quick, I should give you guys some 
by uh, so, some biographical information about me and fishing in real life. Uh, love video game fishing, actual real fishing. My very first experience was a little kid going to my grandfather's lake house uh, where he retired and he, he, he was an avid fisherman and I must have been, I don't know, six or whatever, and he took me fishing. And it's just basically you sit there with a pole in the water, and then when something pulls on the pole, you lift it out of the water, and look, you got a fish. And But what wasn't explained to me, or it was explained to me dynamically as we were fishing, once there's a fish on the pole, if you lift the pole straight up out of the water, the laws of physics cause the fish on the end of the string to swing towards your face. <laughs> so the very first fish I caught, and I don't remember if it hit me and I freaked out, but I just remember as a kid, a fish coming towards my face and me thinking, nope, I'm done. I want no part of this. <laughs> so that that was basically the beginning and end of my career fishing. So I don't know much about real fishing, but what I think is going on in Freshwater Fly is it's modeling the kind of fishing that requires a special like cast you have to pay attention to where you stick the thing in the water. Uh, and then it involves managing the fish on your reel and bringing it in. So with the die that you pick, you're either going to cast with that die, which means select from a grid of fish, which is the board. It's a three by six grid of fish cards. And on the back of the card, the cards are two-sided. On the back, you see what type of fish it is. But then on the other side, face down, so you don't know for sure, there are particulars about the points that fish is worth and how strong it is. So you can use a die to cast, and there are definite rules about that that model like the stream sweeping your 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 fly, your bait. Instead of using bait, you stick a feather, different feathers on the end of the hook, uh, sweeping it downstream. So there's definite weight to different ends of the board. Um, it's easier to like cast up at the top of their stream and then drift down. Uh, so you cast and you get a fish, and then once you've got a fish, then it goes on your board, which represents your rod and reel, and now when you choose a die, you're playing a little rondelle game, which mm. represents turning the, the little uh, reel and, and cranking the fish in. Uh, so every fish catch is a two-stage process. First, you kind of read the river, you figure out you know, where the fish are biting, and you try to get one of the fish you want. And what's cool about that is a lot of times when you do that, sometimes you won't get the fish you want. You'll get like a trash fish, which is hmm. really annoying. You're like, get off of my stupid line. I don't want you. Now you have to waste time getting the fish you didn't want because it's all very particular about collecting sets. Um, so there's that two-stage process, uh, and I like how that's much better than fishing in video games, which is just a jackpot, is you pull a lever and you wait to see what ends up on the end of your line. Here, it feels like you're definitely managing a stream and a rod and a reel. And there's mm. little special abilities that kick in. You've got a, a finesse slider that gives you more special abilities. There are special tiles that give you abilities. Uh, there are cards you can draw that give you abilities. Um, can you upgrade your rod or anything like that? You cannot, but here's a weird thing, Hassan. And it gets at... This is a very, very Euro game. All sorts of like weird abstractions. Uh, nothing is labeled like brand new rod or the, <laughs> the, the flies that you tie are all just different colors. Um, mm. and, and the fish basically are all just different strengths and colors. They're basically suits. They don't behave any differently. Um, so you can't upgrade your rod, but each player board has different victory conditions. Mm. which is kind of weird, and it represents a different rod. So maybe your rod is good at catching certain trouts, whereas mine is good at catching salmons, because you get more victory points for trout. So that's what you're chasing. Mine gives me more, more victory points for salmon, so that's what I'm chasing. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't played this multiplayer, but what I'm assuming that's doing, which seems a little weird to me, is there's, there's no interaction. We're all just taking turns doing our own things, but it seems like these different rods, these different boards at different victory conditions aren't even encouraging us to chase the same fish. No, they're, they're driving, they're, they're pushing you guys apart from it. Exactly, right, right, exactly. But that's um, very Euro. Like, let's not fight. It is so Euro, Hassan. Not even <laughs> let's not fight, but let's not, yeah, let's not even get the same fish. And <laughs> so 
I, I don't really know what's going on. I, I mean, yeah, I do know what's going on. It's just a very Euro thing. You don't want to block people. You're each chasing to it. And it, I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine that replicates actual fishing. You know, Hassan, <laughs> if you and I were to go fishing, you're not going to cast your line where mine is. That's just a dick move. You wouldn't do that. You go to your part of the river. I'm at my part of the river. At the end of the day, we see who caught what. I guess we could score it by weight or whatever. Um, but, yeah, fishing, we're all just doing our own things. So... But at so, the end of the day, we're still going to compare our fish and see who caught more exactly. uh, and, and tally up our points. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So here then is why I really got this game. A, I'm interested in fishing, but what sold me on Freshwater Fly, yeah, you play it, non-interactive Euro, lots of abstractions. Okay, it's doing this cool two-stage uh, process for catching a fish, but it has a campaign mode for solitaire. <laughs> oh, Nice. <laughs> and if you look at the sheet and for the campaign mode where you fill in the different scenarios and you earn badges and then badges unlock new starting abilities, like it's, it's a full-on campaign mode. And it's <laughs> definitely solitaire and it is missing nothing because I'm never interacting with the other players anyway, so what do I care if they're there? Um, <laughs> so, so the solitaire mode, the way it works is you've got one week – to work through four different locations. And each week is a game, is each day is a game. So you're basically playing seven games of Freshwater Fly. And mm. if you haven't beat the fourth location by the seventh day, you lose. It's just all about getting to that fourth location and winning. Mm. Uh, and as you're playing, you check off little boxes for catching certain amounts of types of fish. For catching, the deck is definitely weighted where some fish are bigger than others. And there's one instance of each fish that's worth the most points. And that's the really big one. And if you ever catch one of those, you check off a special box and you get a badge for that guy. Um, so there are these achievements you're trying to meet. And when you fill up an achievement bar, you then get a badge that you can spend in your journal to increase, say, your starting uh, advantages or to give you more special abilities. Or, and this gets to your question, Hassan, if I don't want to use the basic starting board, my rod, I can use one of these badges to use a different rod, a different board to chase a different kind of fish. Maybe hmm. I've used the rod that's really good at a certain kind of trout. I've checked them off of my uh, challenges. So now it's time to chase a salmon. So I unlock the new rod that's better, gets me more points at, at the salmon. Now what hmm. you're doing each day on each location is there is an AI player. And it does that ridiculously arbitrary thing of it's just earning points. Hmm. Now. You can manage the way – this is one reason that I don't like AI decks where you just flip a card and do what the card says because you don't know what's going to be on the card. You generally don't get any say on how to implement the card or how to execute its actions. You just flip the card. The AI does that. All right, so here you roll three dice. You, you take three of them to do your actions. You don't have to wait on someone else to do their turn. These are the three dice you're going to use. The one die you have left over determines what the AI is going to do. Mm. So when you're looking at those four dice – I think to really play the campaign mode, because it is competitive, and each location gives the AI new and easier ways to score points. So as you're working your way through the locations, the AI is going to rack up more points. But when you roll the dice, you want to look at, okay, what die am I going to give the AI? Right. So that right there, the AI is doing arbitrary things. It doesn't have to manage the whole casting and reeling in fish the way that you do, but you are going to determine what it does. Yeah. Uh, no, so. I I like that. I I I I minimally when I see AI systems, I like it when the player, in a sense, their decisions affect how the AI yes. is going to play out. Because then you're thinking on a couple different levels, and that actually might legitimately change your behavior. Much like if you were playing, uh, you know, around a table with other real human beings, you would you would change your behavior based on what the other players are thinking about. So yeah. I I think that's good. Exactly, Hassan. And what it does is rather than just doing circumventing the rules like a lot of these automa decks, it instead introduces into the game a new system that you can manage uh, yeah. like, like you're talking about. Um, so I, I really like this for the solitaire campaign mode ability, which has that whole leveling up thing. Uh, it incentivizes me chasing different kinds of fish and 
kind of has a, a manageable AI. Um, so there's a real sense of progression as you go through the campaign. Like, does does the last game feel different than the first? Not really, but you definitely see that the AI is having an easier time making points. Uh Um, uh You know, I say it's not different. So, Hassan, what it does is you've got a grid where the fish are put down. Uh, It normally is filled up, with the exception of some spots on the grid, get a little stack of cards with a rock on the back. So your grid has holes where there are rocks, and it kind of breaks up the way that you're casting. But whenever you catch a fish near a rock, you draw one of those rock cards, and that gives you a special ability for the rest of the game. Um, And what happens with the locations is because of the way upstream to downstream is weighted as a gameplay system, it moves where the rocks are. And it makes it harder to get those rocks, rock cards as you work your way up the locations. And I really like that. Like, if you want those cool special abilities, they're harder to get as you get to the more difficult in-game sites where you'll be fishing. So mm. it makes the early fishing way more, like, laid back and relaxing and easier. But that last location, it's not quite as bad as... Um, Shoot, what was that? Uh, Under Falling Skies, that dice game where the mm-hmm. final scenario just like hits you on the head with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Here, it's the final scenario. First of all, you've you've done you've improved a lot. You've got much better starting conditions once you get there. But it also plays into rather than just hitting you over the hammer, it just makes one of the rewards harder to get. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do like that element. Um, mm-hmm. So here's an issue with it. I, uh, as I'm playing it. I noticed things that could make me happy that they didn't do. Uh, So I don't know if these are necessarily failings, but they're things that I feel. So right now, I think the gold standard for games about animals that really highlight, hey, here's a cool picture picture of an animal, uh, is Wingspan. Because Wingspan, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody makes games about bird watching. And Wingspan really is, here are birds, here's an interesting picture of a bird and even some facts about it and it's got gameplay uh, uh, implications what this bird mm-hmm. does um, I feel like they could have done that better with freshwater fly because mm. all the, there are eight kinds of fish here and frankly I mean I look at the I, they all look the same to me <laughs> I mean they're just fish uh, and frankly and I apologize if I'm offending any freshwater fish but these fish all look really derpy. I mean, it, <laughs> and they furthermore don't even really say what kind of fish they are. Because Aww. I had to look at, they say a, a word. Um, but this word, that, like, it, it says the word brook or dolly or steelhead or brown. <laughs> I don't know what any of those are. And <clears throat> only because I wanted to be able, I looked it up. Of the eight fish in here, Six of them are varieties of trout. Mm-hmm. The other two are salmon. And I don't know why it doesn't say brook trout or brown trout. I don't know why it doesn't say coho salmon. It just says coho. And <laughs> like the one word, like I know the words trout and salmon. I don't know these other words. They don't mean anything to me. And, and right. frankly, I look at a, at a, there's a, yeah, the salmon looks the same as some of the trout. Like I, I yeah, yeah, that, I mean, Let's be honest. Fish don't have a lot of personality to them, so it's it's not their fault that they look derpy. That's true. But, <laughs> it's true. But the, the other game I was thinking of when you brought up Wingspan is is Evolution. Um, yep. Evolution has very artistic renditions of yeah. animals that I think really are quite striking and beautiful, and not not realistic, um, but really draw <clears throat> you into the game. And I wonder if they had gone with a more artistic, vibrant, non-realistic approach to these fish. Because I'm looking at pictures of them now, and I could give a fuck about these guys. Right. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, yeah. too, about uh, evolution is clearly, like, the artwork is clearly meant to evoke that card's role in the gameplay. And mm-hmm. I love that about it. Um, yeah. Now, here, so here's what, and I agree, Hassan. Like, I don't know... I think they ultimately made the right call because assuming that this – I kind of like the fact that I had to look up the fact that 
that steelhead is a kind of trout. And now I know that. Like that's that's mildly educational. And now I can look at this and think, okay, six of these are trout, two of them are salmon. And there's even like in every single game, for the most part, we're not competing for the same thing. But for every single game you play, AI or multiplayer, one of the main, one of the big scoring thresholds is who got the most coho. Like, and that's the only <laughs> universally weighted gameplay factor is whoever has the most coho salmon always gets six points. Are they and worth the, like a ton of money or something? Did yeah, yeah, they're also up? worth. They're they're one of the bigger scoring fish, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> but they also give you, in addition to whatever the the fish scores, uh, six points if you have the most of them. So mm. there's definitely that element. And again, I I think I knew that a coho was a salmon. I don't have to think I had to look that up. But there's definitely an element where when I see the coho on the board, that means something. Here is the game's biggest failure. I mean, aside from the fact that eh, it's just kind of a weird Euroe fishing game. This is where I really feel they flat out failed me as a game designer. When you put the fish out, the fish is on the back of the card. I know what kind of fish it is. What I don't know is specifically how big it is, how many points it's going to be worth, and therefore how hard it's really going to fight me. I don't know that until I cast my reel and catch the fish, and then I flip over the card and I put it on my rod to represent that now I'm drawing it in. The artwork on the side of the card, where after you've caught the fish, is the exact same artwork as the fish swimming around in the river. And <laughs> I don't know fishing, but I have walked past enough magazine stands to know that fishermen love pictures of fish breaching the water when they're on a line. And they should have, if they're just going to give me one picture of a brook trout on this side, if they're just going to give me the same brook trout every time, they should have drawn or painted or whatever a picture of a brook trout being reeled in, you know, breaking <laughs> the water. Fishermen love that dramatic picture of the fish jumping out of the water. Why couldn't I have that as some kind of mild reward for when I actually hook the brook trout, flip it over, and now I'm right. reeling it in? Right. I'm, 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 I'm legit. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You know what? I'm, oh. little, I'm I'm irked that they didn't do that. <laughs> well, you're you've just doubled the art budget on this game. So <laughs> that is true. That's actually literally true. Hassan is uh, they would have had but to I, draw. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying, like especially what you said about it being like that little dopamine reward you get yeah. when you flip the card. Like yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. But and just um, for for presentation the aesthetics the, uh, you know i hate this term but the table presence just yeah. showing the fish in its derpy underwater her, 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 i'm just hanging around like that's his right. normal look now he's in battle for his life you know right. represent that somehow like it's now a life and death struggle well that, not life and death for me but it's life yeah. and death for the fish uh, yeah so um, yeah. i also want to get the the final thing even though i say yeah, it's just kind of arbitrary Euro stuff. There's all this color matching stuff and set matching you have to do. And um, I normally, if I see a gameplay mechanic, I want to know, you know, what is this representing? And in a lot of Euros, they, they just don't care, and, and mm -hmm. that's fine. But one of the things that I like, um, there's this, a single-player solitaire game made by a, a guy named Joel Toppin called Comancheria. Uh, he made a, a game called Navajo Wars before that, and it was about the interaction of the Navajo and the Comanche uh, with uh, Colin, with white settlers that came to, to the, the United States uh, and our ignoble history with them and the tragedy that, that befell these Native American peoples. Um, and in the game, you play as the Navajo or the Comanche. Mm. What the Spanish and eventually the American settlers do is represented by a series of chits in a row, in a couple of rows. And you can look up that row and you can see, okay, this is what the settlers are going to do next. However, sometimes a chip will flip or the rows will get switched around or two of the chits will change positions. And what this represents is when the Native American people were interacting with the settlers, they were from such vastly different cultures and languages that they couldn't really understand each other. And that was part of the tragedy, coupled with the power dynamic, of course, uh, of what happened. So for instance, um, you know, a, a band of Comanche might sign a treaty with a local fort saying, hey, don't attack us, we won't attack you. 
And then a month later, the fort rides out and slaughters this band of Comanche because the fort was later attacked by a separate brand, uh, tribe of Coman a separate band of Comanche warriors who knew nothing about the treaty. So naturally, the people in the fort thought, oh, these Comanches don't honor their treaties. The Comanche band also thinks, wait, this fort doesn't honor our treaty, and it's people talking past each other. And mm. the variability of the AI models this cultural and linguistic barrier between these two factions. Um, in Freshwater Fly, it's a very different scale, of course, I don't know what the hell a fish is thinking. Like, the <laughs> fact that fish are completely arbitrary, I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I don't know what a coho salmon thinks from a brook trout. What these fish are going to do, and the, just the the randomness of, okay, did this color match that color? Uh, did this dye match that? Like, that fits to me. Fish have incomprehensible brains as far as I'm concerned. So the fact that arbitrary rules govern whether or not they're going to bite on my line, I'm totally okay with. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, freshwater fly. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I still can't get over that there's a that there's a board game about this, but I guess that shouldn't bother me. So, <laughs> I mean, um, I honestly, Hassan, I don't know why there aren't more board games. I can think of four board games about racing, for instance. Yeah, and but, and I can think of plenty of games that have fish, but but just the act of fishing. Why aren't there more board games like that? But, mm -hmm. I, I, but I also admit to being one of those people that that finds it really annoying to find fishing in my video games. So like, I just don't understand people's fascination with the fishing mini game i just don't get it so. right it's because you don't like real fishing i, I definitely don't like real fishing yeah. but, <laughs> but i think but i think this is independent of that entirely so there is a game actually and the reason that i, I it's more of a city builder that has a whaling mini game as one of its systems but there's a game called new bedford I've, I've been curious about New Bedford. What do you what do you think of it? Really quick. So, New Bedford does a good job of modeling a fundamental fact of whaling, which is that it, it was something that was dying out. Uh, mm. It became increasingly hard to make a profit to live. I, I like New Bedford a lot, uh, but it's just a worker building, like it's just a worker placement game that has an element of whaling on it. It's more mm. about growing the city of New Bedford. Uh, it's also one of those things that's like super modular to a fault. Like they just threw a bunch of stuff and they're like, okay, just add in whatever things you want to play for your session. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's, it's no freshwater fly. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, one of the things that happens in freshwater fly is when you're casting to strike, uh, to get a, a strike, to get the fish to bite, there's a deck of four cards. Three of the cards, and the, uh, the backs are all the same, three of the cards are just a, a lure sitting in the water, and then one of the cards is the artwork of a fish breaching the surface on a line. So when I flip my, uh, when I cast my rod, uh, I take a dowel, this is a weird component too, there's a dowel that's the size of a, a roll of quarters, <laughs> and you put that on the fish you're aiming for. I have no idea why it's such a big, huge component. It seems really weird. <laughs> you put that on the fish you're aiming for, and you take this deck of four cards, you shuffle it up, and you flip one of them. And if it's that one strike card, hey, you caught that fish. If it's not, then you have to drift down to another column, and now you can flip over two of the remaining cards. If those aren't the strike that you want, you flip down, you go down one more column, you've got the one card left, you know that's the strike. So this four deck of cards is used to represent whether or not a fish bites. And there's really mm -hmm. cool ways to manage it to get an extra draw, for instance. Um, but how do you guys feel about constantly shuffling a deck of four cards? <laughs> of four cards, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I actually, because I ask Hassan, because I know that drives some people batty. I don't mind at all. Like, I have no problem shuffling them and completely forgetting that one card is or, where I put it. Yeah, uh, if, if, if I'm playing solo, yeah, totally. It's just going to be part of this fun little engaging motor thing, yeah. physical thing doing to, to pass the time. And it's part of the zen of it. So, yeah, I, I can see that for sure. Uh, we were yeah, playing I... a Coup last week, and that's one that you end up shuffling very few cards very frequently. Right. If you guys have played Coup, but it just reminded me of that. But it yep, doesn't exactly. doesn't bother me. But you're always going through like four cards. Yeah, uh, Tom, are the cards like really, really, really small? Like those Fantasy Flight like mini cards? Oh, good lord, no, no. 
<laughs> that would be terrible. Wouldn't it? Yeah. No, they're normal card size, so it's kind of satisfying when you, okay. you you cast to like flip it over and slap it on the table. And is it just that one quiet lure in the water, or is it the big old bright fish breaking out of the water? Yeah. So that's satisfying. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm also, okay. Yeah, yeah. You can also they sell a uh, they sell I think it's free. There's an app that, that you can buy. It's the Freshwater Fly app that you just press a button and it tells you which of the four cards. Like you don't actually have to futz with the card. There you go. Yeah. To all you all you haters out there, fuck right? you. Play our app. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite streamers. I love this guy. Uh, he he streams a lot of Mage Night, but he's got this really weird idiosyncrasy that drives me crazy. Where if he's dealing from say, a deck of, of six or fewer cards, or if he's like, there's one of the things when you set up in Mage Knight is you have to set up tiles, and you, you take, like, two types of tiles, and those are on the bottom, and then there's another three tiles that you shuffle up, and you take two of those, and you put those on top of the others, like you're constructing a deck of tiles. Um, and I can easily give me, you know, six tiles or four cards. I can easily shuffle them. But he is so anal about, A, shuffling them, and then rolling a die and counting into the deck the number that he rolled and picking that one. Oh my god. Oh, like, why? Wow. Yeah, why and would you, you why and you, that? and you watch him do this? Ugh, it's only for setup. Like I could never watch him play Freshwater Fly. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> uh, but just for setup and he does and, and every time I'm like, why are you doing this? Just don't just shuffle it a little more. Like if you if you don't shuffle it and roll a die and then pick one. I don't get that. Yeah. So all right, so let's see. Uh, what do you guys got coming up that you're looking forward to playing? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I, I just uh, I, I just I, got a, a Kickstarter in the mail, and so if my group meets physically soon, we're going to break out a game called Shasen, S-H-A-S-N. I saw where, that and wondered, yeah, is it missing a vowel? What's up with yeah. that? Yeah. It's it looks really cool. It's made by um, this Indian game designer and. He he came up with a pretty cool area control-ish game that has a strong political theme to it. Mm-hmm. And you can either play like the uh, America, I think, 2020 election campaign, maybe 2016, I can't remember, or the India recent most recent election. Whoa. And it looks really cool. Um, but it is definitely a game I want to pull out when we're physically together. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, we got that at the store, too. I backed the Kickstarter. Um, I have not played it yet, though. Yeah, looking intriguing. forward to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike, what are you looking forward to getting to the table? Um, I am always grabbing new stuff. <laughs> uh, lately, we've been playing mostly older stuff, though. I'm trying to think what's coming out anytime soon. Believe it or not, I've been back into Magic the Gathering lately. What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah. Just I, I started playing with a friend on Arena, and we've been playing most days, so that's been taking some time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> as long as you're not playing the physical version, I guess it's okay. No, that's that's still not allowed by Wizards because of the pandemic. So. You know, I actually, uh, I, as long as we're confessing things, uh, I have finally the Scarlet Witch deck for Marvel Champions arriving today later mm-hmm. on uh and i'm not even that crazy about marvel champions i just you can't not have scarlet witch <laughs> so you seem to be all in it a year ago when it was starting is that uh waned some i'm still all in it uh i just i'm <laughs> such a sucker for you know it really is such a sucker for seeing how they realize different heroes abilities i mean and fantasy flight as much as i kvetch about their business model they kind of know what they're doing i mean they make the different pl- heroes play differently enough to where I, I, I want to find out. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing, too, about uh, Marvel Champions that I really like is it, it's just really breezy. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you build a deck, you always go through it. Like, you can use... You, you never have that I, that thing in Arkham Horror where you build a deck and then you maybe don't see half of your cards. Mm-hmm. Like, like Marvel Champions is all about, look, if you built a deck, if you cared enough to put this card in your deck, there is going to be a point where you're going to be able to use it. And mm-hmm. I, I just kind of like that in a deck builder. Um, so. Did you get the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy expansion? No, that's where, and, and we'll see how long this lasts, Mike, that's where I'm drawing the line. I'm done with oh. Marvel Champions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. And that'll last for maybe a month or two, and then I'll get it. And uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get it mainly. Here's the, here's my real problem with it, Mike. It only adds um, like I think Rocket Raccoon and Groot. And Groot. Yep. Yeah. Like there's there's. I, oh. Right, Hassan? They're that's so how they stingy. get you. Oh, I, they're such stingy bastards. Well, yeah. you know, it, has a, it has a campaign and stuff, too, but yeah, I, I was expecting, oh, the, when I saw the, the box, I was expecting like all of the Guardian stuff decks in there, but no. Nope, it's just Raga Raccoon and Groot, and I think they're yep. one character, too. Uh, you can get Star-Lord, Gamora, and Drax, I think, uh, in the coming months. Sold <laughs> separately, they're not in the Guardians of the Galaxy set. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Mike, I will say, because they did a Red Skull box yep. set that has a campaign, the campaign stuff in it, Awful. I just, heard that about. I heard that Red Skull. Yeah. It's uh. just the weakest excuse for uh, play these scenarios in this order, and maybe you can add a card to your deck. I mean, it really is insulting. Uh, uh, they add point. cool villains and stuff. I mean, there's content in there, but putting campaign play as a bullet point is is just bullshit. Like that's yeah, lame. <laughs> so. All right, well, uh, so there we go. Thank you guys for uh, hanging out, talking about what you're playing. We will be back in three weeks, and, um, you know, maybe I'll talk about Scarlet Witch. <laughs> we'll see where we are. <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Hassan Lopez, Mike Pullman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see everyone next time. Cheers. Cheers.